Kimonetsky Brothers Podcast, Andy Kimonetsky, ESPN LA. My guest has appeared on such shows as Preacher, Divorce, and The Good Wife. He's best known for his role as Edgar Quintero on FX's critically acclaimed You're the Worst. Created by my friend Stephen Falk. It also features my friend Todd Robert Anderson as Vernon Barbera. Music from my friend Adam Blau and makeup for my friend Christina Frisch. The season finale is this Wednesday, November 16th on FX. Desmond Borges is my guest. Desmond, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, we'll get to the show in a second, but I wanted to ask a couple uh, sports questions as I know you're a Chicago sports guy. What is the world like for you now as a World Series champion Cubs fan? I, how hard is it to wrap your head around that idea? You know, I, I, uh, I, I look at myself every day in the mirror to make sure that that's my face, uh, <laughs> the face that was watching them go into extra innings to win the World Series. And you want to know what? It just looks brighter. It looks happier. So that's – other than that, I, I'm, I think I'm still kind of in shock. <laughs> I mean, how fitting – you just mentioned it. How fitting is it that for the Cubs to break this drought, it required enough drama to fill like seven game sevens, much less one? Oh, I, you know, Major League Baseball has to be so, so freaking happy right now. Because that is probably what I have some of the most exciting baseball that's been played since mm, ever. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Since, since, well, yeah, since the Yankees were like dynasty, dynasty back then, that was probably the last time that I feel like it didn't matter if you were into those teams or not. You were watching that series. Yeah, I mean, it was just the the way everything carried out. Like you said, the extra innings and, and the rain, and you know, just the oh. back and forth. It, it, it felt like you you had to earn it. As a Cubs fan, as if you guys hadn't been through enough as it was. Yeah, but, you know, that's, I, I don't think Cubs fans would have it any other way, you know? I, I mean, that's, it's kind of, you know, the, the salt of the earth, Midwest Chicago vibe thing going on. You know, you're going to have to grit and fight it and bite your way through it all the way to the bitter end. And then once you get there, it's just so, so sweet. And can you believe five million people came out for the parade? That, that's unreal. Were you, I imagine, were not able to get there. No, no. I was, unfortunately, I was not able to get there. But I, I, I heard that it was the seventh largest gathering of people in world history and the largest gathering of people in U.S. history at one point. Am, am I correct in those facts? I mean, it was huge. I mean, I know the numbers were through the roof. And I, I mean, I've been to Laker parades, for example, and it, to my eyeball test, it looked like there were more people there in Chicago than what I've seen for a Laker parade. Yeah, it's, it's just, it, you know, it, it's astounding. And the best part is they have a team that feasibly can keep on doing this. You know, they got young guys who aren't, you know, like, I mean, I guess for except for Chapman, aren't going to be um, uh, needing a lot of money. They're still under contract for, you know, the next few years or whatever, and they're they're young and they're eager and ready to go. I think, I mean, should they just put Theo Epstein in the Hall of Fame now? Like, do they even need to go through a balloting process? Like, he should, he should just have a statue in, in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, I mean, I would I would imagine, like, as far as Chicago sports heroes goes, and obviously there are a lot of them, and, and the most iconic, arguably, Michael Jordan, but, like, where does Theo yeah. Epstein already rank right now? Because, I mean, his achievement is massive. I don't know. Well, you know, there's Jordan, there's Ditka. Yeah. <laughs> um, there and and the '85 Bears, like you the know, Bears. Ditka, '85 Bears, like they're all they're they're all in the same, the same sort of same sort of deal there. And then I you, I don't know. I think this might be 
then the the num I guess he I guess him and these Cubs would be number three on the list. Yeah, I mean th- this is a. I, it, it's hard to put him in front of the Blackhawks considering they've been playing so darn well for such a long time now. But man, now, 108 years. <laughs> um, I was going to ask too, like, what becomes of the Cubs fan identity moving forward? Like, how do you guys regard yourself now? You're no longer the lovable losers that was kind of like a badge of honor. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, now, now, I, I, I think, I think, uh, old style stock is going to go through the roof if it hasn't already. <laughs> I think they just start drinking more, you know, because it, because let, let's say, let's say it's a fluke, and this is the only time that it happens for another 108 years. There's going to be a lot of drinking of our woes to be had once again. So, I think, and you know, Chicago Cubs are all, always ready for that fearful. Um, uh, endeavor to end up happening. You know, it, it, realistically, they could never win again. And but, none of us, you know. <laughs> Speaking of uh, fearful endeavors, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you just learned to deal with it, 10 being waterboarding but worse, how would you describe the Jay Cutler experience as a Bears fan? <sighs> See, because the thing is, all right, I want to say first off the bat, I like Cuddy. I like Ooh. the fact that he will—he just wants to throw the ball. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like that he kind of has that killer instinct about him. He always wants the ball in his hand in the final minutes. That's what you want in a great player. It's just unfortunate that his stats have never reflected a great player. <laughs> you know, people want to people want to you know beat up on him and say he's not tough or that. You know that that look he always has on his face, which is something I just don't think he. I think that's just his face. I don't think he can change anything about it. I don't think he's doing it purposely. But you know, he comes back. He we beat Minnesota, and uh, what's a near seemingly perfect game for Jay Cutler. And then the next week he comes back <laughs> and he has two interceptions, one pick six, and a strip sack fumble. <laughs> Before we get to halftime, it couldn't have been a more like Jay Cutler two games in a row if someone in Hollywood tried to put a script together. It was like the essence of Jay Cutler. So, I, you know, it's, it's hard because I root for him because I think the guy has a massive arm. I just I don't think he makes the greatest decisions. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say you are much more rational than some other Bears fans, friends of mine, because they all would have chose 10 and said it wasn't high enough. Oh, where did I go? Did I say five? <laughs> you sounded about about five because, I mean, you, you wanted to yeah. take up for Cuddy, as, as you call him, but then you did note just how erratic this experience can be. Um, I wanted to ask, too, this is something that I always see come up uh, with friends of mine from Chicago. Um, are you a Chicago hot dog constitutionalist? Like, do you go strict in the way the hot dog's supposed to be eaten and what's supposed to be on it? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, have, you, have you ever been to Shake Shack before? Uh, yeah. All right, they have a Shack Cago dog that is not on a poppy seed bun, does not use bright green relish, and doesn't have celery salt. And I was very offended the first time I moved to New York in 2010, and everyone told me I had to go to Shake Shack. And I go to Shake Shack, and I'm like, oh, well, I might as well try this Shack Cago dog, you know? And I, 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 may, I told them to take it back, that I had to order something else, and that they shouldn't say, you know, they shouldn't be making the pun, because it is nothing like a Chicago dog. <laughs> First, I, I really love and respect that you sent it back. Like, I, I hate hot dogs. I don't even like eating them. But I love the idea that you're going to cape up for for the right way to do it. Well, 
you know, that's like, I, I'm, I, what, what can we compare it to? Um, I would say, okay, here, here's my sort of thing. Um, and you, you're from Chicago, so you know how pizza is or is not supposed to be made. Uh, yeah. Stuffed crust pizza. That's a gimmick that has no business being a part of pizza, whether you're, you know, a Chicago style or St. Louis style, New York style, whatever, that you don't do that to crust. Why do you need the, why do I need the extra cheese? I actually don't ever eat the crust, to, to, to be honest with you. Um, no, no offense to crust lovers out there, but um, I, like, I, I like my za. And then once we get to the crust, like, I want to save room for more pizza, like, or the goodness of the pizza. I mean, I, I love crust. I'm a big crust guy. But at the, I just feel like if your crust needs to be stuffed, you need to make better crust. Like, you're trying too hard. You're compensating. And what is this crap that I saw? It's either Domino's or Pizza Hut. Not necessarily giving them a shout-out, so don't get mad at me. But <laughs> I don't eat their pizza. But I saw some commercial that they're doing, like, a bacon-wrapped cheesy crust now. Yeah. Like, why? Why? What is that? What is that doing? Do consumers really buy that? They probably do. That's a sad thing is they probably do. As they watch Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Shots fired. Um, Moving uh, into acting in your career, I I read in an interview that among your all-time favorite movies is Purple Rain. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I've seen that movie a billion times. How did that movie shape you as as a performer, as an artist, somebody who wanted to act? Because it's a seminal movie for me growing up. Well, you know... I remember saying this to my mom, and my mom makes fun makes fun of me about this all the time. Is that when I used to watch that movie, I used to and, and I used to watch it multiple times a day, and I was definitely watching it before an age I should have been watching it at. But <laughs> I used to tell my mom all the time that they really love each other. That Prince of Apollonia, like I I was like mesmerized by the love they had on screen. Mm-hmm. Not to mention his music. I used to walk around with like a, a half broken guitar and do the entire Purple Rain album to anyone who would listen to me. <laughs> um, and, and not knowing how to play the guitar and not being able to sing very well, I'm sure. Um, but, it, you know, I, I, I connected with it really as like, uh, you know, like this tragic underdog kind of musical love story. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, you know that, and like coming to America, pretty much like shaped how I think <laughs> love and, and 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 just anything like really comedically driven should kind of go like as a young artist. It was it was it was really crazy. There there is no colder line in in my opinion in the history of cinema than How's the Family. Oh, that's brutal. Oh, oh. How How's the Family? Oh, I, just, ever- I just got goosebumps. <laughs> It's brutal. It's bad. It's uh, bad. It's also too. I mean, do, do you know? Do, do you know that one 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 time? This is and this is really messed up of me. I was in my I was in my early twenties and I was living in Minneapolis. I was working at the Children's Theater Company as an ensemble member there. The first year that I got out of acting school in Chicago, and um, I, I was dating this girl, and she used to wear just the one big hoop earring. And I always like dreamed about getting into a fight with her, where she would take off the hoop earring and throw it at me. <laughs> I never achieved it though. It never got to that status, and so uh, I secretly, secretly wanted that. Well, I mean, would you would you passive aggressively agitate her and stuff like that? 
I mean, you know, like, cause like the crazy thing is, it's like, you know, Minneapolis, like all the old, all the old like train tracks are now like uh, uh, underground bike paths. So we used to like ride bikes and people would like hang out and stuff down there. And it, it just always kind of seemed like it was like that other little layer by the water that he would go to like under 35W, you know, and like, <laughs> and it was it just, I, you know, like I was just in my mind, I was like trying to like find a way to like, to like really get under her skin to make her do that. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not very good at like actually following through on that on that action. Uh, so it, it, it never really went there. You really saw yourself in the kid, or or wanted to see I yourself. Did. I oh man, oh man. You know, I it. Have you have you ever watched the video, the 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 live video of when he first did Purple Rain, yes. First Avenue? Yes, it's amazing. It's it's absolute. I you know it is. For for people listening who aren't familiar, uh, Purple Rain, the the scene that you see Prince performing at the end, Prince and the Revolution performing in the end, that was actually the first time Purple Rain was ever recorded, and and like, and, and like almost seventy five percent of the actual recording on the album is from that first performance. And, and you you basically see musical history being made, like you you hear the version of it on screen in Purple Rain, but there it's. It's amazing to see just this moment. You know, this audience has no idea, you know, the, sort of the moment they're a part of. And I imagine Prince didn't even realize it in the moment. No. I, you know, and, and then, like, cut to, like, Morris Day in the Times face, just like, oh, like, in the background, you know, and the club owner from the movie. It was, it, it, it's, oh, oh. because up until then, he was, like, just kind of, like, you know, like the music scene was just kind of throwing him off as this kind of like eccentric kid, right? Who right. like had skills, but like really didn't know how to like shape or shape shape a song, or you know, like really like hone in on like what it, the story he was like trying to tell. And I think that like, I, you know, it, it, I'm sure it was a jaw dropping moment for everyone who was actually there. <laughs> Although I, I have to say, and then we'll get onto you're the worst, but I. I never did quite understand the idea of, you know, the club owner telling uh, Prince, you know, we, we only got room for like three bands here, <laughs> something like that. It's like you got an entire week's worth of slates to fill out. Like you should be able to fit one more house band. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, that, 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 that sounds like a little uh, uh, dramatic bump up from, from, from someone on a writing staff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a little, little bit contrived, but I did, I do love the movie. Um, on You're the Worst, Edgar is, I think, the best person among the four main characters. He's the best moral center, best empathy for other people, I think the least selfish. What do you think draws Edgar to his friends? Oh, man, you know, I've never gotten that question before. Um, you, you know, I, I, I think ultimately he sees uh, the, the skepticism within himself that he doesn't really have the confidence to show very often he sees in them. You know, I think he, I, I think we've gotten, we've gotten to see like just kind of how warped his sense of humor is. And I think that's how he really fits in with the worsties, you know, cause he can, whatever they're doing, he's thinking it, he's just not good at replicating it. So, um, I think that's how he like, how, how he squeezed himself into there. But at, at the same time, I think he sees the love within Jimmy and the love and, and the love within 
Lindsay and Gretchen individually, you know, and that's kind of one of the reasons why he's been championing Jimmy and Gretchen from the very start and why him and Lindsay have become such good friends because despite their flaws, he understands more than anybody like how internally messed up someone can actually be. So instead of judging them, he just, you know, finds the, the, the greater qualities that, that, that he sees in them and he just kind of hones in on those. Yeah, I mean, there, there's that great moment um, where I think it's in the Sunday Funday episode where the fireworks are going on behind behind you and you don't even realize. And there's that connection between you and Lindsay and beyond what it does for you. You like you just mentioned, you do realize, you know what, Lindsay does recognize other people at times like she does actually care about other people at times. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's an amazing uh, uh maturing process that you're kind of seeing with Lindsay specifically throughout all three seasons because deep down underneath there's there, there's a, a really really great great lady there I just I I, I, I don't think her her value system is is, uh, is in proper order as you would say <laughs> no it's not um, this season you're the worst uh, it's made Edgar's uh, PTSD a primary plot point I've seen him medicating with pills then reject pills in favor of marijuana doing therapy he and uh, Dorothy his girlfriend have honest conversations but it's also this springboard for comedy and I mean you're obviously not mocking people who suffer through PTSD but there there's a balance that struck between respect for it and finding laughs what do you think is sort of the key to striking that balance oh well you know that's that that's a credit to 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 Stephen and the writers they just you, you know they they they're so good at at, at just layering in you know uh, emotions and depth for each one of these characters as each episode goes by, so that by the time we get to Edgar and you're the worst, we we we've seen the entire world around him just you know kind of kind kind of you know taking the piss out of him for 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 lack of a better term the entire time about his PTSD. You know, for a lot of our vets out there who are, are dealing with any sort of mental health issue, a lot of it gets pushed to the side societally kind of as a whole and i think you know the, the 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 crew kind of represents what society is on a smaller scale but you know ultimately for for, for myself and i know with with io uh last season who with the clinical depression storyline whenever you're dealing with any sort of mental health issue you want to tell the story as truthfully and respectfully as possible so her character and my character we get to kind of stay be the straight man in the scene and let everyone else be the buffoon around us because you know that's one of the great things you know about about the way Stephen wants to tell the show is that when you're dealing with super heavy issues sometimes the pill is easier to swallow through sort of cringeworthy comedy because at the end of the day, it is a dark comedy, and you still have to kind of tell these, you know, really uh, horrific, sometimes um, uh, issues through a, a, a kind of comedic scope. Even though I would say 22, we we kind of ditched the comedy for 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 a good portion of it, and then and then got it back there at the end. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about 22. It's an episode this season. It's been it's my favorite episode this season. I think it's one of the best episodes of TV I've seen this season. Um, oh, and thank you. You're, you're welcome. And it's basically it's the previous week's episode told through Edgar's uh, point of view. And then the title 22 is a reference to the statistic about veterans who commit suicide on a daily basis in America. And 
we see Edgar deal with his PTSD in the most, I think, direct way up to that point. And obviously you're an important part of the show, but this was, to my recollection, the first episode where you were the anchor. And I was just wondering what that experience was like for you as an actor, you know, as an artist, because it's a very artistically ambitious episode and just somebody who's grown to care about PTSD. Oh, well, you know, I mean, it, it's it, it it's an amazing honor to, to have, you know, a, a creator and a showrunner who believes that much in your ability to give you um, uh, 22 to 24 minutes of what possibly is, you know, like the entire gambit of, of your acting palette or the box in which you're able to play in because we got to, you know, we got to uh, talk about some, some, some really uh, necessary uh, problems that are happening within our society in a very straight and truthful and dramatic manner. And as, you know, the episode went on, um, we got to see him go from being super, super broke, uh, on uh, crazy, crazy insomnia, having hallucinations, um, to then kind of finding a ray of light and some hope and being able to deal with it kind of a little bit for at least that small period of time and have a better understanding of how he's going to move forward with it. And then at the end, we got to go, you know, as an actor all the way to the other side, you know, of the box with the Chaplin-esque student short film. So artistically, it's kind of, you know, like one of the most amazing opportunities that I think I've ever been given, given and might be ever given, you know, for, um, for those like 22 to 24 minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. It's a really remarkable. I think it's a jarring way that they told Edgar's story in a good way. What do you think draws Edgar to comedy? Because that's another plotline he's had this year, getting involved with the comedy troupe. Now he's got this job with uh, Doug Benson, writing comedy. What do you think draws him to that? I think he's mistakenly found something that he's kind of good at. You know, at, at this point, you, Edgar just needs to gain as much confidence in himself through himself that he possibly can. And he, he, he found the improv comedy world and just so happened to found a really great girl in the improv comedy world in Dorothy, uh, played by the amazing Colette Wolf. And I think he's just mistakenly, since he stayed with her, just found himself, you know, in the, in, in this pathway, um, over, pardon me, over basically a character, um, that's called Dr. Weed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's go ahead it's, you know it's and no it's funny it's funny to me you know i, I just it, it. <laughs> it's so it's so ridiculous and so stupid <laughs> but but it's rooted in what makes it i think great is that it's rooted in edgar's actual life and, and what he's right. going through and you know the the need to take you know to use marijuana it, it's it, that's what I think is really interesting about it. It's ridiculous, but it's grounded in that weird way. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, at, at, at this point, he's he's gone through so many avenues of trying to deal with his PTSD that for the first time he found something that actually makes him feel a little bit more like himself and he's a little bit more stable throughout the day. So I, why not? You know, like, why not try this avenue? If it proves to no longer be fruitful, then you've got to kind of go back to the drawing board. But everything up until then, 
has has not has not been working and in fact has been you know damaging his his self esteem and just his regulatory way of life you know for 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 the past few years so um I'm happy for him that he found it even though up until i guess tuesday um <laughs> you know uh, it, i i don't know i wonder i wonder if the v a can now legally take away veterans' benefits in the state of California now that it's completely legalized. I, I was actually wondering that myself. I, I, I was thinking, you know, the, a big development in Edgar's life may have happened um, on Election Day. It'll be interesting to see the direction yeah. it goes for him. Um, on your Twitter account, at uh, Desmond Borges, you describe yourself as an ethnically ambitious actor. I mean, ethnic, I'm sorry, ethne, ethnically ambiguous actor. And <laughs> ethnically ambitious would be much different. Um, and we're yeah, not, well, you know, <laughs> we're not <laughs> pulls in the same hand. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's not even the saying. I just made up the saying. I, I knew what I wanted to say. I just couldn't get there fast enough. Um, I, we're not far removed from the Oscar. So white controversy. And there's, there's been a lot of talk both about increased diversity in Hollywood and also lacking diversity. I was wondering just what do you think the effect has been for you, uh, being, as you put it, ethnically ambitious in your career uh well you know ethnically ambiguous ambiguous is yeah it's well you know like i'm italian greek and puerto rican and my entire life uh most people i mean we, we we live in a world of boxes right people put people in boxes naturally subconsciously all the time and no one ever kind of knew exactly what I was. Like, I could be Latino. Is he Jewish? Is he Italian? You know, um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's nice in that aspect as an actor that I'm, you know, kind of in this weird chameleon-like physical state for a lot of people so that they don't necessarily just put me in you know that 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 one box. Um, and as far as you know, the, the the industry sort of changing, I'm I'm definitely all for it. You know, I mean, I I I think we should have um, a more well-rounded, uh, diverse group of storytellers and uh, uh, people telling those stories, and you know, people helping shape those stories. And it's not only you know people of color; it's also you know women, women as well. There there's uh, in this era of peak TV, you know, thankfully, luckily, there's just so much work out there now. It's harder for, you know, audience members to figure out exactly what they want to watch. But at least we're getting the opportunity for, you know, um, um, all of these all, all of these people who've worked so hard for such a long time to actually get to, you know, start telling stories. And now they're given the opportunity. So I think we're changing. I think it's going in the right direction, and we're doing a, a better job of of telling stories that actually depict what our society looks like on a, you know, everyday regular basis. And, and I'm excited to see how that, you know, continues to grow. And last question for you. Uh, each season you're the worst does an episode about Sunday fun day. The gang does, does a lot of day drinking and gets into shenanigans. What's your ideal Sunday? Like in your real life? Is this, uh, uh, during football season or not during football season? I don't know. Maybe you have to, you know, play out the averages. Ah, okay. All right. Well, we're in football season. So, 
Um, you know, my, my, my ideal Sunday, well, it starts off like two days before, right? Because I make this skirt steak that I marinate for 48 hours in advance, usually on Sundays. That's kind of like my thing. It's my treat. I, I absolutely love it. I, you know, I marinate in red wine vinegar, honey, ginger, um, uh, uh, garlic, pepper, um, and, uh, and and I start with kind of, you know, a round of Bloody Marys in the house, kind of, you know, prepping, getting ready for the day games, and then the day games go on, and uh, and I'm enjoying my steak and my, and my Bloody Marys, and then I inevitably take a nap and then find myself up halfway during the second round of games, um, which is nice because then I look at my fantasy football scores and uh, I see if I need to keep watching or if I have to go back to sleep. And if I have to go back to sleep, then I just fall asleep until Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very, very good uh, Sunday. I think a lot of people can get behind that. Uh, The ethnically ambitious and ambiguous Desmond Borges, uh, you're the worst. Season finale, Wednesday, November 16th. Thanks so much for the time, Desmond. really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, We'll have to do this again sometime.